Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. That is AJ. He's the green. I'm Ken. I'm the beige. Welcome to the Valentine's Week edition of the Green Beige Podcast, also known as the week that no football played. So, yeah, we have some some interesting conversations here here tonight with regards to you know some stuff that's happening not just in the NFL but in other sports and other thing other issues as they have have come up. Now, I don't know about you, AJ. I don't know what the weather is like for you on the East Coast, but here on the mountain top, we had some 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 frigid temperatures over the last couple of days. It was like that over here too, you know. Um, last couple of days, yeah, it was like below zero, and we're supposed to have another snowstorm tomorrow. Apparently, this is the <laughs> this is the most snow I've actually like. DC usually doesn't snow this much. Well, I should say since I've been here, it has not snowed this much. But this year, shh, yeah, boy. So giving it to us this year, boy. So Yuri is on his way over by you. It seems so. It seems so. <laughs> Because, I mean, while we here in Colorado, we didn't have, like, the feet of snow that some places tend to get. The temperatures were brutal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, for here too, right? I, I ain't accustomed to it. <laughs> but once I'm inside, once I'm inside, then that's fine. But this is the first time I find myself having to be wearing sweaters and sweats and socks inside my apartment. Wow. <laughs> It's all rough. It's all rough. It's all rough. Yeah, well, I mean, for the wife and I, we try to keep the heat up to a certain degree so that we can be comfortable. You know, you still got to put on some clothes, but it wouldn't be sweats and socks and and all of that stuff. I'm I'm blessed to have a heater at this point. Radiators, but no heaters. So (laughs) I I can imagine. (laughs) But but you know, for us Caribbean boys. We're not accustomed. We we really aren't accustomed to having this level of of assault by uh, cold temperatures. Which, and all things considered, I still prefer the cold. But uh, well, I I have a certain preference for the cold as well. I I will say that it is always easier to warm up than it is to cool down. So that is that is definitely a benefit for us here. You know, in these. Um, more is right correct temperate claims but i as i always tell people i'm a beach boy first so (laughs) i'll I'll take the heat if it comes with the water that's fair no argument here yeah didn't like to beat that beach that much and now i'm missing it you know what they say never miss the water till the well run dry right it is true i know that you got no sand and no water near you then you're feeling it barely even have sun boy (laughs) <laughs> at least for, for five months of the year <laughs> correct but as well as we have not you know we we don't have to try to get accustomed to this being our new reality it leads nicely into the first topic that we're going to talk about today which is your patriots we we, we bring in your boys to the fore now this was a question that was submitted to us by one of the one of the viewers and of course if anybody else you know if you have a topic that you'd like for us to consider bring into the conversation of course you know you can find us on all the socials we make sure that we list our socials out for you as this is on youtube don't forget to like subscribe 
hit the little bell so that you know whenever we post a video. And of course, well, we've been in conversations about shifting the time from being an evening drop to a morning drop, but more on that to come in the future. But the Patriots. So the question was asked, with the success that Tom Brady has had, having left Boston and relocated to Tampa Bay. Now, it brings into question, what exactly is the Patriots' way? Because we're hearing now that the Patriots' way is Tom Brady because people weren't leaving where they were coming from to be coached by Bill Belichick. We're hearing they were coming to play with Tom Brady. Brady having now won his seventh Super Bowl, he now has won more than the Patriots organization. So, as the resident Patriots fan, I'll give you first crack at this. Who do we give the majority of the praise and credit to for those six Patriots Super Bowls? Is it Bill Belichick, your coach, or Tom Brady? But you're, well, no, you're still quarterback, seeing as how you moonlighting down in the bed. It's just, it's just is that, I, I, all right, all right, you know what? Okay, cool. Oh, all right, so that question, so this season, the Tampa, this Tampa Bay season is exempt. We're not speaking careers, we're just talking about the six Super Bowls. Yes. Um, this actually, is actually a tough question for me, you know. I, I, I I still don't know if I can give one above the other at this point. If if we were speaking in a more general sense, I would have to say it was Tom. If we were just talking about their careers so far, like who, you know, who who would, would sway my my direction? It would be Tom, but that's based off of this year. Um, before, the, in in terms of like the six. I, that's an argument that's always going to be made, but me, I'm still on the fence. I'm still, I, I feel like it is actually 50 50. If we're talking about that time, that period alone, like that uh, um, 20 year span, Bill and Tom, right? And the reason I say so is because um, you can see that over time, Tom has, how he has grown as a player from first coming in to take over from Jubledso and then like how he's progressed through the years and how he has become like, as Stephen A. likes to say, one of the most cerebral or the most cerebral like quarterback in, in the national football league. Just um, his ability to like read defenses, how, how, how adept he is at being able to, to um, play at the line of scrimmage, you know? And it's just, just the little things, the subpar teams that he's had to play with at times. I mean, we all know the argument for Tom, right? Even Danny Amendola went on first things first, I, I believe it was, and <laughs> blatantly said that there is no Patriot way that is all about Tom. And yeah, that is all about Tom. And yeah, don't believe that. But Danny's a former player who wanted to stick around and he ended up getting shipped out. So that's a bit of sour grapes there. That's the honest truth. As much as I loved hearing the take, it's a bit of sour grapes. The reality yeah. is that I, I cannot diminish what Bill has done and despite the fact that I, and you know this, I've, I've, I've been on record in one of the chats saying this, I feel like Bill has let, has let us down, the organization down in his GM capacity 
in recent seasons. Like, I've been forever complaining to y'all about the fact that we drafted Nikhil Harry <laughs> in, in a draft full of receivers that are, that are no budding. You understand? I, I, I don't know what sort of scouting he was doing, but that... And even, and even prior to that, just the fact that... <laughs> just the fact that we drafted Sony Michel too. Listen, Sony Michel is not bad, but he had a partnership with Nick Chubb. How the heck did we take Sony Michel <laughs> and a few picks later, the Cleveland Browns end up with Nick Chubb? I, I don't get it. So um, those are just examples, right? But mm -hmm. I feel like in recent years, he has let the, the GM bill has let us down. But in terms of the coaching, as, uh, well, you know what? I'm not done with the GM part. Let, let, realistically, he has done some good things because there have been at least a couple of times when the Patriots have made it to the Super Bowl on the back of like the top defense in the league. And that's not to diminish what Tom has done as well, but you have to give credit where credit is due. Like we know that his strength is putting together the defense usually, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to give him credit for that. Oh, so that's the GM side. Um, and being able to coach these players and just the fact that even when he seemed, he seems to be able to get rid of players at the right time. Most, in most cases, in most cases, right? Because there are a number of players. Um, remember the case of Malcolm Butler, Super Bowl winning um, INT against the Seahawks next season? It was the next season he was hardly playing and then he was nowhere to be seen in New England. And, and everybody was wondering, you know, what happened to him. And uh, mind you, he kind of did pick himself back up at the Titans, but we moved on. And mm -hmm. the defense was good without him. And it's just, you know, the, the whole next man up mentality, do your job. I get, I get, I'm a Tom advocate. And I, I would always say, you know, Tom Tom did what he had to do. And he's a, a big part of, of that whole culture and organization. But... I cannot diminish what Bill has done as well with regards to like building the team, not even bringing Randy Moss for Tom in a year when, um, you, you, well, you know that I'm not going to relive that because yeah, you know why, but th there have been some years where he's put stuff together, right? Whether it was defense, whether he got Tom some weapons on offense. Now, arguably he could have done that a bit more, but he did it at times and it benefited the team. I think our success was predicated on the greatness of Tom and and the greatness of Belichick as a coach. That's why we were so consistent with regards to like getting to AFC championship games and getting to the Super Bowl. Like that's why we were always up there. Coupled with the fact that we had an extremely poor division otherwise, right? But for me, they both go hand in hand. I I can't I can't pay. I'm on the fence. I'm I'm going to say it's 50-50. If if we're speaking about the time frame, that 20 year time frame in which Tom was at the Pats, won six Super Bowls with Bill Belichick as his head coach and GM. I'm going to say they go hand in hand. It's 50 50 for me. Well, I mean, you, you, you almost stole some of my thunder because you said some <laughs> of the things that I had planned to say. However, I can still say them because I know, first off, when this question was posed, I could not believe that I would have to come. I knew I would have to do it, but I would have to come and write for Bill Belichick. A course that I have absolutely no love for, like, at all. Right. At all. So, 
when I said that I, I believe that I would have to be the one to write for Belichick, I actually anticipated that you would have gone more on the other side, that you would have been much more gung-ho with regards to, you know, Brady being the guy as opposed to Belichick. However, I did a quick look up of Belichick's coaching record, right? And from what I can see here, Belichick took over the Patriots in 2000. He had Drew Bresso as quarterback. He went 5-11. Bresso gets knocked out early in 2001. The Patriots go 11-5 at that time. And I'm not ashamed to say I was a fan of the greatest show on turf. I was I was a great uh, St. Louis Rams fan. With, it was... Kurt Warner at quarterback, Isaac Bruce, Tory Holt, as Zahir Hakim, and Ricky Pro with Marshall Falk in the backfield. I will never forget that offense because that that was what really got me back into the NFL. And the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And that's where my hatred for the Patriots and for Bill Belichick. And Tom How did Brady. I never know this story? Why because, did I never know this story? <laughs> no, because it's not one of those things that I mean that that was that was where it all started. No, I, you have no idea how much joy it fills me with to hear. I, I, I okay, it, it makes sense though. It makes sense. All right. No, you yes, no, you understand why I am I very do, I anti. Do. I do all of you guys in uh, New England, and I would like all of you to vacate my division and stop humbugging the players the whole time for bit. But anyhow, yeah, not soon enough. So I'm looking at Bill's um, record here. And since he was the head coach of the Patriots, he has only had two losing seasons. He went 5-11 and 11 in 2000. And then this season, he went 7-9. and nine. Even when Brady's knee got knocked out, I think that was 2002. When um, uh, it was after that, because it was it was that wasn't like 2005 or something like that. I honestly can't remember the year now. But well, I mean, all right. Well, I have to ask it this way then: the year that you lost Brady to that knee injury, did you make the playoffs? That was when Hasselback. Is is Hasselback that was it? What's in Hasselback, Matt Castle? Yeah, Matt Castle that took over. Castle, not Hasselback. Yeah, I, I honestly can't even remember. No, I wasn't. No, I was. I can't remember that. No. Well, the reason why I asked it that way is because you only missed the playoffs three times before this season: 2000 when you went five and eleven, 2002 when you went nine and seven, and 2008 when you went eleven and five. And if you went eleven and five with Matt Castle at quarterback then that's a feather in the cap for Bill Belichick. And, I mean, you lost divisional games. You've only lost on the World Card weekend twice. Last, Not last year, a year before to the Titans, which obviously we would agree that your team was really not that good, even though you made you had a 12-4 record. And then the other time you lost in the divisional game was in 2005, when you lost to the Broncos. It's possible it could be that year because that year you went 10 and 6. But in any case... I think it was 2005 for real, if I remember. Right. So in any case, 
when we when you take a look at the body of work that the Patriots have had over this period of time, yeah, it shows that Brady has been extremely good in that system. But even when he wasn't there, if it was that 2005 season, you still had double-digit wins. And that is testament to the greatness of the coach that is Bill Belichick. Now, I, I am forced to be fair, especially in a conversation like this. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking about a man that I generally and generally don't like that much. But Belichick has some records that he's established over his career. He has the most Super Bowl wins with six. He has the most Super Bowl appearances with nine. He's tied for the most NFL championships, which predates the Super Bowl with six. And he has the most playoffs playoff wins as a coach with 31. And he was also Super Bowl champion twice before that when he was a defensive coordinator. He is the three-time NFL Coach of the Year. And, of course, he was inducted on that NFL 100th anniversary all-time team. So, sorry, not to interrupt you, but correction. Just, just to, spec- just to um, clarify, sorry. Sure. The year he was injured was actually 08, the 08 season. Right. So the 08 season, when you went 11 and 5. So, yeah, I am, I am forced then to give more credit to the coach than I am to the player because at the end of the day, while the player has to execute the plan, the coach makes the plan. The coach puts everybody into position to do it. And while it may be a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, the air and mystique of Bill Belichick, and I've said this to you before, and I've heard other analysts say as well, knowing that Bill Belichick is on the other side of the field, a lot of these coaches, they beat themselves. They, they, they go away from their tendencies and they do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And then they find themselves in problems and they lose the game. Yes, Brady may throw for 300 yards in that game, but to the point that you made before with Bill Belichick, the GM, the team has almost always been short on offensive talent, especially on the outside. When... I mean, you you had two tight ends. One that turned out to be the greatest common or um, hidden gangster in history. So, I mean, you had two tight ends, but you had nothing else on the outside, really. It was just all about Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, who is no longer with us. We you Then you brought in Randy Moss. And Brady, I think that's the only year that he's thrown for 5,000 yards since. It was a record-setting year, yeah. Yeah. I mean, record-setting regular season. Yeah, I mean, it almost was a record-equaling year. I mean. Almost. Yeah, 17-1. And you lost the right one. <laughs> but anyhow, I digress. So, yeah, I think. Yeah, we, I, I give it more to to the coach, to Bill Belichick, than they do to Brady at this point. Even though Brady has now left there and gone to a much better, better situation in Tampa, 
No, we will never know the answer to this. This is just my personal belief. And I may be wrong. I may be wrong. However, I believe that if Kansas City had their offensive line, that could have blocked and given Patrick Mahomes any kind of time, then we would not be having this conversation because it would still be six and six. It wouldn't be seven to Brady and six to Belichick. Like I said, we will never know the answer to that because it didn't happen. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I give it to Belichick. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, all right. So you you expected that I, that I would go more gung ho and like if. If if I had to lean to one side, it would be slightly in favor of Tom, though. So it, that's a funny thing. But I I I believe there's enough evidence to suggest that Bill does above and beyond like what any regular coach could do, head coach, or not could do, but has been doing, um, for a, such a sustainable period of time, right? Which is why I give them equally. But the reality is, like, we we have had to deal with some garbage over the years. I, look look at it most recent years some of the, the, the Super Bowls we won like the the <laughs> the Eagles year when our defense was terrible was absolutely terrible this is mm -hmm. supposed to be Bill's forte you know remember Tom broke a record set a record in that Super Bowl most yards in the Super Bowl whatnot whatnot because he had to try to keep he had to try to keep up had, had to for the entire game but but I'm saying that to say and it wasn't it wasn't even like like, like we just spoke about Ben the other day. It was not even like empty calories. Like he was actually keeping us in the game with these yes. yards, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, looking at that in situations such as that, if if I had to, if I wanted to be a bit biased, I would actually say, you know what? I'm going to lead it slightly towards Tom. But is this is this this is a conversation that was it it, it hits close to home for me. I've never mm -hmm. been able to to pick apart the two. This was the first year. Obviously, because you know, being a fan of of the past, I mean, you had Tom for all this time. So this is the first year we actually we actually had to make that separation, right? Yep. We had a little separation anxiety. Um, it I I still have to say it's even though I I I I'm I'm sorry to shatter your expectations of me for that topic. <laughs> but I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. I'm on the fence. Okay, no problem. Well, I think, honestly, we've given more than enough time to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and the Patriots. So <laughs> we can we can move on. We can happily yeah. move on now. Now, the next one, the next issue that I wanted to bring up for us to discuss. Now, I don't know how much tennis you follow, but this week started the Australian Open. Just like everywhere else, Australia's been dealing with a lot of covid but they actually reached the point where them and New Zealand pretty much had eradicated COVID completely out of the country. Except now that they had a slight spike again and where they were allowing a few fans in to see the games, there were no grounds passes which allowed fans to move all around the facility to see multiple matches. I believe it was, today is now Monday, so Saturday... I think Saturday was the last day that they allowed fans in. Either that or Saturday was the first day of you know, a new lockdown where no fans were allowed into the games. But what was most interesting of this entire situation to me was that the Australian Open, they're the first 
tennis tournament I have seen. I can be corrected if I'm wrong, but they're the first one I've seen that have removed some of their referees off of the court. So for those who are not necessarily so familiar with how it was set up, you have the chair umpire, then you have the judges that you see at the back who are there really just to call the sidelines and especially on the serve really for the judge that's in the center to make sure that the ball is within the lines of play. On the side of the courts where we almost never see are an additional two line judges who are watching the baseline to make sure that they get any calls for any balls that go along. Those judges, pretty much all of those extra judges have been removed. Now, we, they're using the technology hockey to do real-time monitoring of the ball and where the ball is landing so as to make the game more accurate in terms of the calls. Now, it also saves time because if all of it is automated, then there's no need for a player to challenge because who are you challenging? If you were challenging, you're going to challenge the call of the ref to say that they got it wrong, and then you use the technology to confirm the call or overturn it. If the technology is doing it all, then you no longer need that. Now, that in and of itself was interesting. Now, for us who are soccer or for the folks back in the Caribbean football fans, we know that they brought in VAR, which we could probably talk a little about in a little bit. But then there's also the same hockey technology that tennis is using. They've been using that in cricket for a little while now to try to determine um, leg before wickets and those kinds of things to determine if a man is out or not. In some places, because of course technology costs money, you have more technology available to you in places like Australia, I think some in India, and as well as in England, where you have like this thing that they call snickle, where they monitor the path of the ball when it passes the bat to determine if it has nicked the edge or not. In England, I've not seen it anywhere else, they have the hotspot technology, which will show if the ball has hit the bat and the point of impact, because sometimes you need that to show why a man is out. Or it could be because a man has middled the ball so sweetly to the boundary, you want to show that it came off the sweet spot of the bat. <laughs> so we find that that technology is being used quite a bit in all of these international sports. And, it, I, and I'm phrasing it that way deliberately. We contrast that now to what's happening in the NFL. Because in the NFL... Right now, we still have two people holding a chain at the side of the at the side of the field to mark off ten yards to show us what the first down yardage is. We have situations where when we're not sure if the guys have made the yardage, we get the chain gang to bring the chains out onto the field, and then we're going to stick them in the ground and measure it to see if they're there or not. You can see like the. Um, the umpire, he will measure and show to the coach, you know, it's like this close, or it's like this close. We've had one uh, referee, Gene Sterator, use an index card to show that they didn't quite make it. They were just there, but they weren't quite, they didn't quite get it, you know? Right, and the then, infamous card, yeah. Yeah, the infamous card. And then this you have baseball, who still uses manual umpiring, and 
from what I have seen and from what I've heard, different umpires look at the box, the strike, the strike zone, strike zone yeah. differently. Like some of them will give you a little more leeway than others. So my question is, do you believe, especially in the NFL, that we should by now be using, utilizing all of this technology, the Amazon Web Services and, and all that? Isn't it time that we start using these things much more often than we do right now? Um, again, I feel like that's a very loaded question because there are arguments for both sides. In 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 one instance, I would say, <clears throat> generally, I would I would say yes. I, I do think it's time for some sort of upgrade because we can't be having um, human errors every week. And I'm saying this to 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 placate or try to pacify any Saints fans. That's not the reason you lost. Yeah, I know you hear me, Ken. That's not the reason you lost, but but <laughs> I do I do agree that there needs to be some sort of technology used. The thing about that is on the so on the flip side, the thing about using technology is that it it always takes some time to perfect. It always takes some time because even with uh, the one I can speak for mainly here, obviously is is soccer, right, or football. And the technology, because it is still being operated by referees, and it is an absolute disaster. Not the technology itself or the idea of the technology, but just like how you mentioned the umpires and their different um, uh, um, variations of the strike zone, right? It, the, the Premier League referees seem to have different variations of rules. And, and it, it, we just see it inconsistently, like different calls being made week in and week out. And... And the average, the average fan is just say, all right, well, yeah, this is VAR. This is VAR issue. But VAR is being controlled by the referees. There is the referees that need the education. So I digress. Bringing it back to the NFL now, I believe I, I, I am on the side of utilizing technology. I do believe that. What, what technology is out there specifically um, that you think could be used in this case? Well, that's another part of the discussion. Uh, but I do believe it, it is time for some sort of advancement in the NFL in this regard. I, I, and I, I think, let me just leave it at this. I think the sooner they start, the better, because it's not going to be perfect from year one. It is something that's going to be perfected. Because, I mean, how long have we been using, uh, um, like, humans, referees, actual referees? And they still can't perfect calls either in the NFL. You know, we still see inconsistencies there. So even with technology, technology is not going to be 100%. Uh, I, I do think it is time for an upgrade, though. And I think the sooner the better. Well, as you said, the, the main challenge that they have when it comes to the referees and the technology is that, as you rightfully said, it is still being manned and operated by humans. Humans who are fallible. Humans that can have their own agendas at times for these things. So, as you mentioned, just now, us Saints fans, right? The poster child of this conversation is that non-call in the um, NSA game against the Rams. Yeah. No, I'm not going to go on a whole big rant about it again. I've, I've done that a few times here already. So I need not get back into all of that. However, the NFL 
they had no choice but to admit that a huge mistake was made in that game. And their answer was, okay, so we are going to make pass interference calls reviewable for next season. But as much as pass interference calls were reviewable for the following season, and there were some bad ones that were called or not called, and the referees were not necessarily held accountable for them. You had the coaches throwing the challenge flag, having them looked at it, and and it was sometimes a clear and obvious error. That's the, they know that's the the watchword that they give us for everything dealing with replay. It has to be a clear and obvious error, and even with a clear and obvious error, they still weren't overturning the calls. So, what was the point? After that season, they scrapped it. So now we're back to. Any nonsense can happen. Anybody can call or not call anything for pass interference call. And the coaches have no response. Now, I've heard some pundits say that they believe that all calls should be reviewable. I don't necessarily subscribe to that because at the end of the day, if, if you are using human referees, you are giving an allowance for some of these bad calls, no calls to occur. However, and I... I'll take it out of the NFL and I'll carry it back now, back to VAR, uh, the video assistant referee, and the soccer. So this, well, not this week, because this week we haven't really had the big VAR controversies. But last week, last week was when it was horrendous. So you and I, we're both Arsenal fans. And we saw David Luiz get sent off for the slightest of touches on a man's heel, where... If you wanted to say that the man, as he was running, he stretched his leg back to cut to catch David Luiz, he initiated the contact. Luiz was sent off. We take that. Then in the very next game, Manchester United they're playing against Crystal Palace, and Benarek, I believe Southampton. Sorry, Southampton, and Benarek he gets sent off in the game. So you can say that both referees were playing the letter of the law at that time but then you have the appeals and somehow the appeal for Bednarek was uh, was um reversed therefore he was not suspended but Luis's tackle or lack thereof was upheld and he was suspended so when we're looking at these things it's like if the refs aren't going to do what they're supposed to do and the administration isn't going to hold them accountable, then what are we doing? What we right now, I think we just we just wasting a lot of time. <sighs> Anyhow, so enough you, of, you do sound distressed. Is 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 an it is an annoying topic for me because they, they actually I, I, let me actually correct you. I, I don't I'm not sure if you were able to see our the Arsenal game on Sunday. It was Sunday we played. Sunday. Yes, we played on Sunday. I watched that game yesterday. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there was there was a, a bad call there that that was um that was based around VAR as well. The penalty, the first penalty kick with Saka earned, which mm-hmm. should not have been overturned because it Agreed. was a foul. It was a foul. So it's every it's every single week. No, though it is yeah. every single week. Yeah. All right. Enough. Enough of the refs. Before somebody think I'm anti. Anti-refs or anti-zebras. I I am anti-Premier League refs though. Yeah, we, yeah, you're well documented on that. <laughs> All right, so Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. 
So we have Russell Wilson, who has come out um, on a podcast. I can't remember whose podcast, but he Pat was. McAfee? Yes, it was McAfee. Yes, you are correct. It is Pat McAfee's <laughs> podcast, where Russ can't, comes out and says, "Well, you know, really and truly, I want to be." more involved in the decision-making process. I want to have more say in, you know, what we do with personnel and and everything. And I don't think any fan of the NFL who has been following the Seahawks would say that Russ was wrong for voicing his concerns because he has not had good pass protection not one season in the NFL. He's been running for his life every season. And the yards and touchdowns that he put up is more a testament to him and his abilities, especially to do things when the player breaks down, than it is on the scheme and the coaching that is happening in Seattle. But anyhow, so he says that he wants to be more involved in the personnel and he, he called out his pass protection. No, I saw some people who were saying that maybe him doing this was a bad move because Russell Wilson, as we well know, is still one of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL. But him being a leader on his team to come out and talk bad, as it were, about his offensive line, the men who are paid to protect him, does not necessarily bode well for him in the future. And then to compound this, we have the Seattle Seahawks, the organization, coming out and expressing the disappointment with Russ and him voicing his concerns. What do you make of this entire situation? Russ, get out of the dodge, boy. Get out of the dodge, Russ. You still have a few good years left. Right? Russ is too calculated. Again, this is not a... This is not a Chucky sort of situation <laughs> where, where it could be where it could be go either way for me, right? Mm-hmm. Russ is too calculated to do something like this and not be thinking. He is either trying to he's trying to force a hand in some way. He's either trying to force the Seahawks' hand by by making this public and then letting them know, all right, well, yeah, this is that serious to me, and y'all need to address this. Or he's trying to force their hand to get out. It has to be one of the two. But either way, he's trying to force some type of hand. Russ is way too calculated on and off the field to do something like this just with some with this kind of haphazard uh, wanton disregard for the, his organization. This this th- there's a plan behind this. There is a plan behind this. I I my my initial thought is not that he's trying to force his way out but that he's just trying to force their hand to improve his his situation. I honestly believe he wants to be there still, right? But at the same time Push come to shove, I can't see, I can't see Russ having an issue. <laughs> like if, if, if this breaks down, he won't have an issue finding somewhere else to go. He won't. He can. He can. But, but the funny thing is, someone's going to pay him. I, I have no problem with what he did. I have no problem with what he did because he didn't. It wasn't a, a like come out and name names necessarily and like point fingers and and say well yeah and just like chastise everybody, he expressed disappointment with a situation that is evident to the entire football world. The entire Everyone who watches the sport sees what happens to Russ. He expressed his, his frustration and disappointment at that, and uh, he knew what he was doing. He's trying to force Seattle's hand, and I have absolutely no problem with it. Well, I have no problem with what he did too. As you said, Russ 
his his um persona is very carefully curated and yeah so so as you said this this is not no reckless off the cuff statement that he has made he knows exactly what he's doing like you i anticipate that he wants to stay in seattle he loves it there and the city loves him but better can be done and better needs to be done and he is doing what he can to make sure that better occurs no him saying this like i said i have no problem with it where my question comes is from seattle the actual seahawks organization like you know your quarterback is still one of the most popular players not just in your locker room but in the nfl why are you going to then this is the summer of last summer we had the summer of black lives matter and protest this is the summer of quarterback upheaval why are you going to then try your best now to antagonize the man even further because you know that he had to do this deliberately as you say he hasn't named names but if you are let's play devil's advocate for a second so let's say that they go through the entire offseason they bring back the same offensive line that acted like turnstiles for a lot of the season right so when they get into the season now and Russ has called out his offensive line and said that they haven't been doing a good enough job blocking up front. If you are the left guard or you are the right tackle, excuse the left tackle because the left tackle is the man that gets the majority of the money for a reason. But you're the left guard or you're the right tackle. And you you go now to pass, pass block in this game against Aaron Donald and the Rams. And you remember, but wait a second, no, let's not get and call me out in the offseason. <laughs> if you are the offensive lineman and you decide, oh wait, sorry, Mr. Donald, I you know I completely I lost my footing, or I just missed the I just missed my block and missed my assignment. You have a clear path to the quarterback. And you go there and you and Aaron Donald says, oh, wait, I've never had this lane before. And he runs photo and smokes Russ. And Russ is not out of the game. Do you think that any organization in the NFL seeing you do that on tape is going to give you another opportunity to let their quarterback get smoked that way? Not happening. So... As, as much as they want to be butthurt about him saying that y'all and the guys have not been blocking up front good enough for me, there's nothing they can do. They don't have the power in this situation. Russ is the franchise quarterback, and they would find another guard or another tackle to take your place. So I don't know why the Seattle Seahawks would, again, try to antagonize their quarterback like this, but... <laughs> Because you know why, Ken? You know what guilty people do? They get defensive. Yes. That's, that's what it is. And, and obviously, no, no pun intended here, but that's what, they, that's what they do because the Seahawks know that Russ isn't wrong. They're disappointed because he came out and said it, but they know he isn't wrong. So they had to, they had to get defensive now and put out their statement or whatever, saying how disappointed they are. Listen, we don't, we don't want to hear all that talk. Protect Russ. Let Russ yeah. cook. Protect exactly. Russ. Yeah, Correct. That's what it is. Exactly. 
you got you have to protect your franchise players. And speaking of franchise players, that leads us nicely into the next one. We need, we have now a former franchise player, JJ Watt. He is now a free agent as of Saturday, I think it was, or Friday. We saw yes, Friday. We saw the announcement come from him, where he said that he went to the McNairs, the owners of the Texans, and he asked them for the release. And they give him his release. So now, J.J. Watt is a free agent. Of course, because it's Houston, and Houston has been dominating the new cycle as of late, we have the question now of, but if you can do this for J.J., then why can't you do this for uh, Deshaun? But of course, we know that these, this is we're comparing apples to oranges. We're, we're, we're not even apples to oranges. We're comparing apples to T-bone steaks. We're, this, they're not the same thing. So we have um, JJ Watt. We don't need to get back into Deshaun this week because nothing has changed in his situation. He still tries to get out and they're still saying that they're not letting him go. So JJ Watt, though, he's gotten his release. So where do you see JJ Watt landing? Because apparently there are like some dozen teams out there who are interested in procuring his services. I don't know where else you could want me to say about my team. I've seen our name in the mix, and I and I'm and I am thrilled. I am thrilled. I don't care. I don't care how many injuries he's had recently. I would take JJ Watt in a heartbeat. I kid you not. I kid you not. And uh, you know, you know. First of all, I, I was. I wanted to say that I was. I was a bit like in hindsight. No, I, I, I'm surprised that we weren't speaking about this more throughout the year. You know. I guess because the Texans were under the radar with regards to like no one we we didn't really care throughout the year. It was mm -hmm. more about Deshaun, but the writings were on the wall uh, of of, um, of this happening for a while. You know, it, they, this 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 didn't come out of out of nowhere from him um, openly like visibly apologizing to Deshaun walking off the field telling him sorry that we wasted your good years, and then him going in the press conference and. He's essentially calling out his entire team for yes. underperforming. Mm -hmm. and it, this this was bound to it, it was bound to happen, right? And I'm glad he did it because I really want him to end up as a New England Patriot. What 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 would he? I I don't think it. I don't think it's the best move for him, especially with the team in this sort of. If Tom Brady was still there, cool. But in during this phase that we 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 don't even have a quarterback right now, coming off of the season that we just had, like. I don't see why he would come to the cold in New England to struggle and to be in a in a uh, an uncertain sort of situation. But I would love if it happened. I would love if it re realistically. Um, there were some other names that have just evaded me right now. I can't remember. But um, at this point, I, what else could he want but a potential challenging team? I, 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 we uh, we obviously saw the Steelers being linked. Um, you know, the water, the Watt brothers reunion, and I, I think that might be a good move for him, all things considered. Well, I think that the Steelers right now may be in pole position to grab him because, as far as I remember, they do have a certain degree of cap space and they have some expiring contracts on defense that may be leaving. And I mean, if you have TJ on the outside doing the pass rush and you have JJ as your nose tackle. Then I mean, 
why wouldn't you do it? But of course, we know pass rushers are a premium in the NFL because you have the quarterbacks that make the most money. And then the guy that will get a lot of money too is the guy that gets after the quarterback. So there is likelihood that he could end up there. Um, I saw Green Bay was a place that he was mentioned as being a good potential landing spot. Green Bay's defense does need some help. He could also go to, I think Seattle was mentioned as one place, and Seattle's always been a team that's had a good defense. So they would be interested. Any team that has cap space right now would be interested in getting J.J. Watt. When, as you said, this is not a surprise because even in the season, there was thought of how he may have been traded coming up to the trade deadline. And there was conversations or at least there were rumors that he may have ended up with the Saints. I would have been happy for that because if you got Cam Jordan on one side and either Hendrickson or Davenport on the other side and JJ Watt in the center, cancel Christmas. Tampa Bay was not getting <laughs> to the Super Bowl with that. From yeah, them. yeah. So, you, can, you can speak in hypotheticals all your yeah, yeah, I know. We'll I never know. know. We'll never yeah, know. We will never know. That that is one of those things that we that I would just have to say. You know, it was possible, but you know, maybe in some alternate universe it played out exactly the way I described. We would never know. <laughs> but JJ Watt, he he is at a premium position. He's 31 years old. Yes, he's had a lot of injuries. But, you know, former man of the year, he did wonderful stuff for the city of Houston when the hurricane came through and devastated everything. I mean, he just seems like an all-round good dude. And while I can understand why you would want him in New England and stuff like that, I personally wouldn't want him there because, as I have elucidated, I hold no joy in my heart from your boys, for your boys from Boston. I just want him to go someplace where he can challenge. He's not going to be expected to do everything, where he will not have to then be pushing his body as hard as he has had to do in Houston because Houston is not necessarily giving him what he needed to be successful. I just want him to be happy at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I do, it's, it's a pipe dream. Do I want him to be a part? Of course, I do. Do I realistically think it's going to happen? No. And I, from the more analytical part of, of my brain, I, it's not a good move for him. It's not. Okay. So, um, coming down to the end here now. And I didn't think that we, well, I know we didn't have time to get to it last week, but I didn't want us to get too far away from talking about this situation with Brick Reed. No. I know many people may not may or may not know who Britt Reed is, but Britt Reed is the son of the Tampa Bay head coach, Andy Reed. Now, I was trying to see if I could pull it up just so I could give you like some numbers on this, but unfortunately, there's like no one has actually done the research that I was hoping had been done, and I really didn't have the time to look up and see how many of these coaches hire their children as parts of their organization. Now, we have Britt Reed and Andy Reed. We had uh, Mike Shanahan, who was the head coach of the Washington Redskins at the time, the Washington football team now. And his son, Kyle Shanahan, 
we had Marty Schottenheimer, who had in who had hired his son Brian Schottenheimer. We have um, and what's his name? Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. He has two of his sons on his coaching staff, and we also have um, Bill Belichick. He has one of his sons as I think the linebacking coach, and now the play caller with the Patriots. So. <clears throat> Well, we talk about all the coaches that, you know, we would like to see get a chance and get a shot. Of course, they can't get a shot if the coaches are hiring their, their children. I, I, in the same breath, I can't necessarily criticize a man for giving his son a job because what's the point of having a job if you can't look out for your family, right? So, Britt Reed, he was the driver of a vehicle that got into a crash leading up to the Super Bowl, which caused him to have to miss the game because he was being held on suspicion of a DUI. And Britt Reed, now I don't know anything about Britt Reed, so I'm not going to try to cast aspersions on his character, but he has had some issues in the past with the law. But when, you know, others who don't necessarily look like Britt Reed get into issues with the law, chances are that's usually a death bell for whatever they had going on. But he, he you know, he was allowed to, to continue. In 2007, he pled guilty to gun and drug charges stemming from a road rage dispute where he brandished a handgun at another driver. And his brother, Garrett, was arrested after a drug-related traffic crash. And that's why Andy was still with the Eagles. He also pled guilty to simple assault, possession of an instrument of crime and drug progression, drug possession, sorry, in that case. And while out on bail before the case was decided, he was arrested after driving into a shopping cart in a parking lot and eventually pleaded guilty to driving under the influence. So, well, like I said, I don't know anything about Britt Reed. It is safe to assume that Britt Reed seems to have some problems. But he was still allowed to be on the coaching staff, albeit with his father. But we now see that there's a little girl who's been fighting for her life from this accident. So isn't it time that these NFL coaches be held to the same scrutiny of, that the players do especially when it comes now to these to the hiring of these assistants where we can see nepotism is a, is a clear case here but what do you how do you think the NFL should be looking at these coaches especially in their conduct you mentioned that that's something that I'm going to get into it's a very similar situation that I'm going to get into um, in, a, in a little bit but yes, they, yeah, they should be held accountable. And um, the thing is, how do you, how does how does the league go about enforcing this? I mean, they have the the rules like the Rooney rule in place, but you can't go about enforcing or uh, forcing um, the 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 NFL as an organization can't go about forcing the league owners to do it. It's a it's the the thing is, it's, this is a private entity, so. It is. It would be more about the NFL as an organization putting pressure on the league owners itself, as opposed to going directly to the head coaches. It has to be like, uh, um, yeah, going to the heads of these organizations 
you're hurting their pockets if anything when when instances like this happen I, it will will nepotism ever be curved probably not because like you said what's the point of of you having a job if you can't you know, look out for your family and and let's be fair in some cases these guys might actually be qualified for the jobs that they have right mm-hmm. so that's fair but in cases where like you just pointed out with Britt Reed clearly this man this man shouldn't be having any kind of coaching job at this point he shouldn't be anywhere near a coaching staff at this point he has some personal issues and I'm not as again like you said as well I'm not casting aspersions on his character everybody has their demons that they fight but there's some things you need to be dealing with and, and, and while well, you put other things on the back burner. At this point, he shouldn't have a, a, a job in, in coaching if he has such issues, like personal issues dealing with. You understand? And But I think the only way to get at this situation is for... But I, 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 it, 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 to me, it's really to go through the heads of, of the... Of, the organization, the, the owners, but then again, how do you do that when essentially Goodell actually works for these men? Goodell works for them, but so at the end of the day, it it is is uh, I feel like it's a cash twenty two though. They 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 should be held accountable, but how do you actually go about enforcing it? At this point, I can't think of a way that would actually force force uh, anything to be done, and especially especially like what. Even if the NFL could per se, like just let, let me just use the same example you just gave. Even if the NFL or G- and Goodell could come out and say, you know what, uh, we put pressure on on um, Kansas City's owners to to make Andy Reid do something. We hurt his pockets. If you you really think that that um, the owners out there want to do something to Andy Reid, want to upset Andy Reid in any way, shape, or form? Not at all. But what I do know is that. Since this accident and since you know this the end of the Super Bowl and stuff, the there has been a report that Britt Reed is no longer a coach with the Kansas City Chiefs, which is expected. And the, the league are looking into discipline. I don't know what kind of discipline you can give a man when he's not employed, when he's no longer a part of your organization. Well, yeah, he's not. He's not he's yeah, just, but. Yeah, they, they will have to figure that part out. So, last week, we debuted a new feature in the in the pod, where, which I called the final thought. Last week, I talked about women and the coaches in general, but I highlighted especially the women coaches that were on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization. And while how I feel about the Tampa Bay team is well known, especially they being in my division. That does not mean that I could not tip my hat to the women who did great things and have earned their place up until this point within sports in general and the league. Now, this week, we saw the hiring and then subsequent resigning of Chris Doyle with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who... Apparently, is Urban Meyer, former head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, and probably, more than likely, a college football Hall of Fame inductee, eventually. He hired this guy, Chris Doyle, who used to be the, um, he was the center of the racial bias scandal at Iowa. 
Now, I know you, AJ, you have some thoughts on this. So I will give you the floor. The floor is yours, sir. Take us home. So, yeah, let me get into a serious mode here because my take on this is not going to be as lighthearted and as cheerful as yours was last week. While I really appreciated what you did last week and I completely agreed with everything, this week I need to get more serious. I need to get serious on this. It was approximately about a month ago when Jacksonville announced that Urban Meyer would be the new head coach. And in one of our group chats, um, a couple of the fellas replied and you know, they were, were expressing some excitement. Um, yeah, their sentiment was more based around excitement at the high end. It was like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This is a good move. I was the only per other person to reply to that post in the group that night. And my sentiments were on a complete opposite end of the spectrum to theirs, right? Mm -hmm. If you remember, what I said was essentially, uh, it, was, it was essentially uh, as follows. I was like, Basically, the stink of controversies following Urban Meyer around are why I am more skeptical than excited about this hire. Like, his locker room cultures are toxic. And I'm not speaking about just, like, uh, uh, having a little wide receiver deeper in the dressing room toxic. I'm talking about, like, law-breaking uh, um, sort of toxic, right? And the fact of the matter is he's coming into a situation now where he's going to be charged with building an entire new culture in the dressing room, right? Now, I know that based off their reactions, God bless their souls, those guys were excited about seeing this all-time college great coach because uh, um, it's, it's a, good, uh, a good football move. They were seeing it from the football perspective, you know? He's just, as you said, uh, he's going to be a, a college um, football coach, Hall of Famer one of the all-time greats, one of the early adopters of, of, of the spread offense. You know, always talked about in that regard. You know, great offensive mind. He's supposed to have a keen eye for recruitment. But clearly, that's only when it comes to players. Because after I said so, a month later, this man chose to hire a man who, as you just said, was dismissed from a job that he held for 20 years. He was eventually dismissed because he was making racist comments towards obviously the black players, right? And, and it was to a point where as they, they monitored and followed the students and, and did um, some research and they found that players were uncomfortable being around him. So this, this isn't just hearsay or this isn't just um, some kind of conjecture. This was actually proven, right? No, uh, you mean to tell me, I said this a month ago, you mean to say that Obermeyer thought it was a good idea to hire a racist to be a part of his locker room staff in the NFL, given the current climate that the NFL is in right now. I mean, he didn't sign off on it, right? But he's the man that had the idea. I'll get into Shad Khan and all that afterwards. The, the fact of the matter is, Ken, this is what Urban Meyer does. He always turns a blind eye to wrongdoing and, and controversy just for the sake of winning football games. And then, <laughs> and then he manages to weasel himself out of any subsequent uh, um, controversy that, 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 you know, uh, uh, that takes place afterwards. This duplicitous, cowardly man, he, he manages to weasel himself out of it by always citing some sort of health concerns. Look, my BS radar is so high on this. Huh? 
every single time a fire gets turned on um, Urban Meyer, he's talking about some health issues and he needs to take a step away from the game. That's absolute poppycock. That is foolishness. I don't care. I'm, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And this is not the first time he's done it. No, but wait, there's more. So let me put this in here. We have a saying in Grenada that it's kind of like an extension of an old adage. It, it, it goes, um, once is a mistake, twice is a habit, three times is a papi show. Ken Urban Meyer is taking this thing for a joke. This is his third four par as, as the head coach of an organization. So let me go back. So we spoke about Chris Doyle and that situation already, right? Before that was a job at Ohio State. That, that's, that's, where we, that's where most people know Urban Meyer from, right? Mainly that, that, that Ohio State stint, the big one. Man had an assistant there. Well, first of all, let me say what happened to him. He was, he was suspended for blatantly lying about his knowledge of this assistant, uh, aforementioned assistant, Zach Smith, committing domestic violence against his wife. Mind you, this domestic violence began when Zach Smith worked with, under him at Florida. Mm -hmm. Right? The allegations came up. He said he didn't believe it was true because the, it was the girlfriend, it was his girlfriend at the time. She didn't press charges so over my didn't believe it, it was true, right? <laughs> Mind you, Ken, this is just one of the things that, you see how you just pointed out a whole like plethora, a list of things that Britt Reed had going on. This is just one of Zach, Zach Smith's indiscrepancies, you know. Zach Smith had an addiction to, to prescription drugs. He, he, he um, raked up a, a, a high bill in a strip club or some kind of thing like that. That's like all kind of, all kind of foolish behavior behind the scenes. Urban Smith just turned a blind, uh, Urban Meyer turned a blind eye to it, right? Mm -hmm. All kind of degenerate behavior. Did, did nothing, they didn't let the man go and then blatantly lied about, no, it, it, the evidence came out and to suggest that Urban Meyer knew exactly what was happening, didn't take any sort of action. Besides running his mouth and, and threatening Smith, right? No, before Ohio State, he was in Florida. In the five years he was there, there were 31 players arrested. 31 in five years, that's at least six a year, right? Mm -hmm. Now, considering we're talking about college, college students, you have to, to, to be fair and, and say that some of this would just have to be down to some of them kids just being juvenile delinquents, right? You can't put all of that on Urban Meyer. But the fact of the, of the matter is he fostered the culture to the point where reports came out saying that there were, a, there were clusters of players in the dressing room who felt comfortable. They... they, they basically um, gathered and made a circle of trust, as it was called, because they were comfortable knowing that they could get away with anything because, again, Urban Meyer would turn a blind eye because of their talent on the field. So he fostered this culture, right? Let the University of Florida uh, um, go down to the, to the doldrums and, and rut as an organization and then cite health issues and, and take, took his cowardly behind and left and then took it further up to go Ohio State. The man broke the entire culture down there, left it for ruins, and then left to go Ohio State. <laughs> After those two stints, Ken, let me get back to the future now. Urban Meyer still had the testicular fortitude to hire a racist to be a part of the N The NFL is 70% black, Ken. 
70% black and in the midst of, of a racially charged, I don't want to call it a situation, but almost like a, 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 a war, a war in, you know what I mean? In economic, not economic, but social type of war right now, right? So when I thought this was a good idea. So with all of this in mind, I do not give a damn about the Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer bandwagon. And I couldn't care less if Urban Meyer succeeds or fails in the NFL. I'm not going to wish failure on him, but I'm, I'm not excited that he's in the NFL. I don't care that he's in the NFL. Urban Meyer is a cowardly, duplicitous old man who deserves no sort of job in any, in any organization, anywhere. He has not proven that, that he is fit to lead behind the scenes. All he does, he wins football games, but he is terrible and toxic. And you know what? I'm actually sorry for Trevor Lawrence that he has to go to an organization that is so pathetic on and off the field. Because Shad Khan had to sign off on this too, you know. Urban Meyer didn't, didn't sign the papers to um, bring himself here or to bring Chris Doyle in. This was Shad Khan. Trevor Lawrence, I'm sorry for you in advance, bro. Well said. With a lot of passion. I feel you. I'm, dis I am di I'm, I'm utterly disgusted by Urban Meyer. I'm disgusted. And with good reason, as you have so eloquently said. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of another week with the Green Beach podcast. As we have said before, like, subscribe, hit the bell. Make sure that you see whenever we drop our episodes. I'm Ken. I'm Beach. That is AJ. He is the Green. Thank you again for your time. We'll see you. Thank you.